Dr. Matthew Castro here at Central Church in Kyreville, Tennessee. I'm the adult ministries pastor. You are listening to the Church and Politics Equip class. It meets on Wednesday night at 6.15 p.m. in room 235. You're listening to Lesson 11, Biblical Manhood and Womanhood in the Church. Uh, so we, as I mentioned uh, in the dinner, our last uh, Wednesday night is on the 6th of December. So I'm going to have to, we're going to kind of, cut off some things that I had planned, and uh, but that's okay. We're still going to talk about this, some important matters tonight. Um, because this is such a controversial issue, especially in the United Methodist Church, in some other denominations, it's even become an issue in the SBC as well, so the Baptist Convention, and others with Rick Warren and Saddleback, and what are the women's roles in the church? Um, this is a, a big issue going on in the church. Um, has been for a little bit of time, especially as I talked about last week with just the second and third wave feminism and how that affects um, traditionally different roles within the church. Um, and so we're going to talk about that, and um, that's going to be our major topic tonight. Um, so manhood and womanhood in the church. And um, um, I want to read this passage in Galatians chapter 3 because I think I want to create just to kind of where, where kind of um, the, the more liberal view on this is coming from. So if you have a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 3. Genesis. Someone read Galatians 3, 26 through 28. Galatians 3. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized <laughs> with Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all are one in Christ Jesus. Thank you. You belong to Christ and you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, so in this passage, which you know, Paul is, is speaking to um, the equality that men and women receive through the salvation of Christ. Uh, Christ Jesus saves men and women, slaves and free, Jews and Greek. All are one in Christ Jesus. Ah, oh, we need more chairs. Uh, I'll be, there's one more. You can go in there. There's one more in here. There was one over there, but Johnny is just hogging it. There you go. Hogging the chair. You want to sit at a table? There's probably room right here. Yeah, share those cookies with the Clarks. I love you forever. That's right. I can walk this way. But um, actually, uh, feminists have taken this and uh, used this passage to say that there is no male or female. They're all now. There's no. There's distinction between the two. Uh, therefore, uh, women and males can be pastors, elders in the church. 
because there is no such thing as male and female. This is how they use this passage. Um, so you can see kind of, that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not, he's not kind of redefining gender in this passage. What he's saying is, is that in Christ, we all are actually the first sons. We are all receiving the same inheritance. Male or female are receiving the same inheritance, the same spiritual inheritance, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, as Paul says in Ephesians uh, 1, chapter, uh, verse 3, we, male or female, there's no distinction. You receive that, okay? Um, that's what Paul is referring to. He's not saying that there's no such thing as male and female anymore. Uh, that therefore, women could then be uh, the same roles in the home and in the church as men. That's not what Paul is addressing. So it's, they're taking this passage out of context. Okay, um, so let me just kind of kind of go back to last week and the week before, just establishing some important things. Um, Genesis 1, 26 through 27, we, we've, we've gone through this passage a lot, but we see that God has created male and females in his image. So there's equality of essence between males and females. Uh, when we get to Genesis chapter 2, we see that... Uh, Adam is created first from the ground. He is then given this uh, call or commission to work and keep the land. So his disposition is to, to work and to protect and to provide. And then Eve is created from the rib of Adam as a helper for Adam and is given the relational disposition, uh, a disposition of nourishing, uh, nourishing and, and helping, those other, helping others flourish. We talked about that last week. Um, and and you, so you see these two different roles and strengths that God has given to males and then also females. And we don't see the Bible changing and saying, oh, by the way, that happened in Genesis 1 and 2. That was in the garden. But now we're going to suspend that. Okay, we're going to, we're going to suspend that. So when we get to talking about male and female roles in the church, we see these same strengths and roles being assigned and played out in the church as we, see, as we read the New Testament. That men are called to the roles of protection, uh, providing, guarding, and women are given roles of nourishing and helping others flourish and a relational disposition. So much so that you know, we could talk about this in theory, but if you just look and open your eyes and see where women's strengths are used in the church and where men's strengths are used in the church, you see where men are given the, they, they take, take roles of governance, roles of, of, of teaching over the whole church, of protecting it from, uh, from false teaching and heresy. Um, but you also see women doing what? very relational, bringing the church together, uh, caring for children, caring for um, a lot of others in the church. Like here at Central, women are like the, when it comes to helping the elderly, our women do more of that than the men do. When it comes to helping them relationally, caring for them, uh, providing uh, food and other uh, things that they need, women are so quick to do that because God has wired that strength in them where men are prone to leadership and leading over the church, protecting the church, and providing the church through teaching. 
Um, so we're going to kind of talk about that in more detail. Are there any questions or any comments before we get into that? That was all, all just introduction, but are there any comments or questions you'd like to ask before we dive into this? So let me just say, um, <coughs> we provide some expectations. There is an expectation in Scripture that men and women will both participate in the vast majority of church's ministries and practices. What do I mean by that? Well, there's an expectation that men and women are both going to come together and worship together, right? There's an expectation that men and women are both going to be uh, givers in the church. There's expectations that men and women are both going to serve in the church. Um, There's expectations that men and women will be in discipleship ministries in the church. Um, there's expectations that men and women would both, depending on the church and its polity, would be voting in the church. Like here at Central, it's expectation that men and women are voting for our elders and affirming new elders. Right? There, that's an expectation. The expectation is not only men or only women, but both are involved in vast majority of the ministries here. Right? There's very few ministries that it says only one gender can do, right? Uh, Even in the children's ministry, there's an expectation that men and women are going to serve in that ministry, right? And so the vast majority of ministries and services in the church and practices in the church, (coughs) both men and women would be a part of that and serve in that. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. And somebody read that for me. This really important passage when we talk about men and women's roles in the church. Verse 4. Now there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. (coughs) Keep going. Go all the way to verse 7. Sorry. Also, there are different ways of serving, but it is the same Lord being served. And there are different modes of working, but it is the same God working working them all in everyone. Moreover, to each person is given the particular manifestation of the Spirit that will be for the common good. Uh, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, tongues. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. That's okay, I can read it. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What can we learn from this? Is it saying that only men receive spiritual gifts? No. 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 Is it saying that only women receive spiritual gifts? No. It says both. It's, it's an expectation that all believers, men and women, would receive spiritual gifts for, they're empowered by God, for the common good. Okay? For the common good. That means no one's important or unimportant. We are equal, uh, and, and all of our gifts are helpful to the life of the church. Hopefully that wasn't me. Was that somebody? Who was that? Okay. Making sure my, my recorder thing doesn't turn off or something. Um, so God has designed the body to that different members of the body would have different gifts, and that includes men and women. Uh, in his wisdom, in God's infinite wisdom, he has assigned spiritual gifts to men and women in the church for the church's common good. So therefore, the church needs men and women 
in the church. Uh, secondarily, men and women are called to serve the church in all its capacities except for leading and teaching the church, which God's word assigns to men. Assigns to men. So everything, there's, there, there, all the things in the church men and women can do except two things. Leading and teaching the church. Now, I want to talk more about the teaching part because it's not just, we've got to be very careful because the Bible is very clear in what area, what context that men can, are the only ones that can teach. Because if you take this to say that women can never teach in any, any context, that would be taking, you would be basically adding more than what Paul is saying, okay? So we're going to talk about that. Um, so I want to kind of, just kind of in more ways, broaden the various ways that men and women build up the body of the church, okay? Number one, I think you have this in your notes. Uh, it's uh, Roman, numeral, no, no, Roman numeral number three. <coughs> number one, participating in public gathering. Men and women gather together publicly around God's word. To hear God's word preach, to sing to the Lord, to praise the Lord, to pray together, to hear scripture read, to witness baptisms and share the Lord's Supper. Um, and we all gather together. We share fellowship together. Uh, we meet together. Uh, we, have, we have all these things that we do together when it comes to worship. And we participate together. It's not like we're not, we're not Muslims. We don't, in, in Islam, women go to one room and men go to another room. That's not true in the Christian faith, is it? We are equally saved by Christ and we worship together, Right? We worship together. And it's not like men sit up here and women sit down here or that men sit in chairs and women sit on the floor or vice versa. We share the same. Uh, we sit together. We worship together. No one is more important than the other, right? Number two, uh, we reading, praying, and prophesying. So we pray. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 4 through 5. Can somebody read that? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 4 through 5. But every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. What is interesting about this passage is, is that men and women are described as doing what? Praying and prophesying. It didn't say it when men pray and prophesy and then tells women how they should cover their head. But it said also when women are praying and prophesying. So the scriptures, Paul is not saying that women should not pray. And I don't think what Paul's saying is that women shouldn't pray publicly. Because when Paul says, and we'll get into later in 1 Timothy, he's talking about teaching, is prayer by definition teaching? In some ways, it can maybe be perceived that way. In some ways, maybe the intentions is to teach through prayer. But when we pray, we are, we are praying to the Lord. We're calling out to the Lord. We're praising Him. We're uh, repenting of sins and asking the Lord for things and yielding to Him. It's not necessarily teaching. Okay? So I, I don't, I, it's not wrong from Scripture where I see it for a woman to publicly pray. Okay? Um, so we see that we see men and women praying publicly. Um, we also see the description of prophesying. 
publicly. So what is prophecy? News according to the Lord. Say that again. News according to the Lord. Okay. But we're talking about New Testament. So these aren't Old Testament prophets, right? They're not prophesying of something to come, right? They're not foretelling, correct? Were you in agreement there? John. Say that again. John. What about John? But he's, again, we're including men and women. Is what Paul's saying when he includes praying, prophesying, is he defining that as Old Testament prophecy of foretelling about the future? I don't think so. Another way to think about this is foretelling, non-inspired speech that calls spiritual truth to mind. First uh, Corinthians 4.13, the one who prophesies speaks to people so they're upbuilding and encouragement and consultation. So we're not thinking about foretelling about the future. We're talking about words of encouragement. Any woman in here, any man in here received a word of encouragement from a woman? Raise your hand. Really? Come on. No, you always should feel ashamed. Have you ever felt encouraged by a woman? Has your mother ever encouraged you? Has your wife ever encouraged you? Has your siblings of a sister or a cousin ever encouraged you? Have they built you up? Beat me down. They beat you down only. <laughs> I doubt it. You beat him down. I don't think that's oh, true. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Of course. When we think of it that way as non-inspired speech, so not Old Testament prophecy of uh, thus says the Lord, Right. We're talking about words of taking scripture and using it to build someone up and to encourage them, right? Are we saying that women can't do that in the church? No, no. So women, Joe, you're saying that, Pastor Matt, that a woman can come up to you after a sermon that maybe you preached and said, I was really encouraged by you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your words. Uh, Thank the Lord for your, your blessing to me today. Is that against the church? Is that God's scripture to do that? No, of course not. Of course not. Even amongst in this room right now, if you had a word of, of, of encouragement or a point you wanted to make according to scripture, you're just foretelling, you're not foretelling, that is perfectly proper and good in the church. Okay? So we see that men and women can pray publicly, they can encourage uh, they, can, they can build up, they can provide words of, uh, cons- uh, of consulting, um, they can provide testimonies of grace, right? When we do baptism and a woman is being baptized, what do they do? They read a testimony of grace. What happens when a man is baptized? They're reading a testimony of grace. And what is it? It's public. It's not like the man reads it publicly and the woman like reads it in the back somewhere for no one to hear or that it's read by a man, right? No, she reads her testimony of grace. Exercising governance with the congregation is number three. Women and men are a part of the church. They're members of the church. They have a voice in the church just as much as a man does. I know that we are not a Baptist church. Anyone grow up Southern Baptist? What do we have? We had business meetings. 
Who's allowed to speak at business meetings? Not necessarily. It depends on your congregation, but women are equally allowed to raise and ask a question. If you do uh, Robert's rule and you say, are there any questions on the issue? You never say, only the men can answer or ask a question. No, a woman can ask a question about the matter. And who is allowed to vote? Men and women. Men and women are allowed to vote in the church. They're able to vote on a new elder, a new deacon, a new staff member, a new pastor. In Baptist churches, they vote on the budget just as much as the men do. They can be on committees just as much as the men are. So actually, women can be a part of exercising governance within the congregation, depending on the denomination. But a lot of congregational churches, which is what I've been a part of traditionally, men and women are a part of those governing. Even women can operate in non-elder roles. Like at my former church, we had a woman who was our clerk, and she took minutes of the meeting, right? Uh, There was other roles like treasurer that a woman was allowed to be a part of. Right, and part of the governing of the church. This is, okay, we, we may have a little bit of conversation on this next point. So uh, again, please, uh, this is a safe, safe place to ask questions or to push back. Um, the issue of deacon, this is where there's been a, a division within the church on this issue. Um, and uh, Central has just recently, within the last, what, 12 months or so, has come to kind of, uh, basically articulate a position on, on deacon and deaconesses in the church. But it's not as, as clear-cut as it maybe once was 20, 30 years ago. There are Southern Baptist churches that have women deacons or deaconesses. And so depending on what church you go to, there is division, and I think it's proper division on can women be servants in the church and be official servants in the church? And I would say that they can, that we see example of Phoebe was a servant of the church. Uh, even if you look at 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 3, you see that the way that that passage is structured. It seems that you have deacons and then deacons' wives. It seems odd if you don't have deaconesses. If uh, you have qualification for elder, but no qualification for elder wife. But then you have elder qualifications, deacon qualifications, and likewise, women who are deacons also have to have these qualifications. Now, there's division on that, and we can talk about that later, but you just see that there are a lot of areas in the church that women can serve alongside men in the church and serve in the church. Uh, the fifth one is women teaching or leading other women. Um, we just had a women's conference this weekend, this past weekend. Who did all the teaching? Hey, Tanya. Yes, Tanya York did, whose husband is a fantastic teacher, but she's a great teacher as well, right? But she was teaching other women, and she was doing it publicly. She was doing it in the sanctuary, right? Um, You had women leading uh, workshops and other breakout sessions. You have women that lead other ministries of women, like the women's ministry led by Ellen Olford. She leads the ministry, right? She organizes it. She has teams. She has a staff. She teaches. She instructs. She equips. She trains. Um, So she's teaching and leading other women. We see this in Titus chapter 2, 3 through 5. I'll read this one. Older women are to teach 
teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. He says, teach. Women are to instruct and train other women. So we see this in Titus. We see this practicing in the church. So it's not like women cannot teach at all. But Paul does present the context by which it is appropriate for them to teach. And, um, and so we see this in Scripture. Um, we see also, number six, ministering to children. Um, Again, God has wired women to, 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 to be, have a disposition to nourish of relationship, but also to help others flourish. And that's why they're prone to be in children's ministries, because God has wired them to be one who wants to nourish even those who are not even their own children, right? And I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing, and it's a very natural thing for women to most, the majority of people serving in children's ministries tend to be women, isn't it? I mean, most of the women that are in the nursery, most of the people in the nursery are women. Most, all of the, of, the, of, the, of the servants and volunteers in the kids club are women, right? So we see that the, the strength and the, and the roles that God has created from the beginning that he gave women, we see them in, at, at play in the church. So ministering the children, um, look at uh, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how you're infancy, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So there's a, there's a desire, there's a way of wanting to teach children the love of Christ, by words and examples. Um, we even see that uh, Timothy, uh, that his mother was very in, impactful in teaching him uh, God's word. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.5, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So we see the, the example that Timothy was influenced by his mother and his grandmother. So you see them like desiring to teach and train um, their son and grandson. Uh, and Timothy is one of the, the great heroes and leaders of the New Testament. And he was impacted by, uh, by women. And uh, so there's other, countless other examples, even in missions in particular. There is a lot of examples of great women of missions. Lottie Moon, Amy Carmichael, uh, Elizabeth Elliot. Right, ministering to the sick and the elderly, ministering to the lost, ministering to children, um, counseling people, uh, helping people flourish, helping nourishing people. You, there's a there's a great history of women of missions, right? And nowhere in Scripture does it say that women can't be missionaries or a part of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? The Bible. And nowhere in the Great Commissions that say, oh, by the way, only men can go and make disciples. It doesn't say that, does it? And so there's many things in the church that men and women can do together, side by side, working together. But there are two restrictions, right? There are two restrictions, and we're going to talk more about that 
Um, are there any questions about anything <coughs> that I've said so far, any comments before we move on? I kind of rushed through some of that stuff because I want to know if you had any questions, I'll answer them on the back end. So are there any questions on any of that? Anything you'd like to ask? So this, this whole argument is based on more or less just the Timothy. That is one of the primary passages. However, you actually would, would also articulate what you see like Ephesians chapter 5, right? These talking about the household, like the, the roles within the house. Paul will then pick that up and say, well, if this is the roles in the home, they have to also be reflected in the church. So it's not like, well, in the home, there's male headship, and then women are the helper and submit to the leadership. But, ha- but in the church, that's it's totally different, right? Uh, anyone can be pastors. Anyone can be apostles. Anyone can be in these, these roles in the church. It doesn't matter. But in the home, there's clear-cut roles, right? And so the church is to reflect the home. And the home is to reflect the church. These are the two. Um, and really, when you see in Genesis chapter 2, this, this, the, the, the first family is a prototype of the church. Like, and what the church, uh, the family of God is to also represent. I guess I've always just been a little confused in seeing Paul's letter. He's specifically talking about a problem specific to that. When I read that, you know, kind of using that as this framework. I just question, is he talking specifically to Timothy and where Timothy is preaching at the moment, or is this... Which is Ephesus. Yeah, is it this kind of like, is it subjective or just universal? And that's kind of, I don't know, where you kind of question the statement. Well, again, we, we root, and Paul even roots his argument in... Back into Genesis. So the argument's being actually, it's not just rooted in a, an historical context, like what you're referring to, but he roots the argument back into Genesis. That God created man, and then he created woman from the rib of Adam, and she was created to be a helper to him, right? And, and he was given a disposition to work and protect, which he failed to do in the garden, right? And she was to help him, as an equal partner, right, in this, the church is to reflect that same uh, disposition. So we see male, and we're getting into this male eldership, and we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that elders are to be providers of the church, especially when it comes to teaching, right? They teach the entire church, the authoritative teaching of the Word of God. We're not talking about that women can't teach. They can teach other women, when we get into the bigger, like in the, in the gathering of the church, men and women, God has ordained that men are to be the providers of God's word, to be the feeders of the sheep. Because you see that back in Genesis chapter 2. Does that make sense? It does. And the only little kind of hiccup there is uh, if that was kind of, I don't know, I guess when you look at the judges, when you had Deborah the judge, right. to all of Israel, right. it seems like that precedent. But you remember that actual story. What did she tell? What did Deborah tell? Remind me of that character. Brock. Brock, what did she tell him? The Lord said, go into Yeah. And she basically called him out for not being the leader. Right. 
Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So you see almost hit the fallenness of man where you see the 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 action of passivity, right? He's following her instead of the other way around. Okay. So I don't think that's an example of okay, now women can be leaders over men. What you see though is is some of the the an example of the fallenness of the world that we live in, where men are not taking priority of initiating and protecting and leading and providing. Instead, she is in place in the situation where she's going and he's following. Right. Right. You know, so the judges are more of a, almost like a political government. True. Than, um, than a head of household. True. Which is consistent throughout the entirety of the scriptures. True, true. There is, there is that, but it's interesting what her words are to him. Like, she doesn't embrace this role as like, look at me, but she even calls him out. You know, and I think that's an interesting part of, of her understanding, maybe, of what God has ordained is that men are to be, as you see in most of Israel's history, Moses, Joshua, Saul, and David, and Solomon, men are leading, leading the people. Um, but primarily you see, though, in the home context, in the home context, men are to be the leaders, the head, and women are to be the helpers, right? And you see that being played out out of Genesis chapter 2. Yes? Even in Judges 4, where it points that out, when it introduces Deborah, it says that she is the wife of Lapidot, saying that this is just like with Bathsheba. She is the wife of Uriah. She is, uh, he is to be held higher. Right. And whenever he point, or she points out to Baruch, uh, hey, the Lord has given you this command, go do it. And then as you said, whenever she, uh, she gets given leadership, so to speak, by a man, not by God, by a man, she says, okay, well, you're going to be forgotten, and it's going to be by the hands of a woman. And it wasn't even her that delivered the nation. It was another woman who was unnamed at this point in time. Yeah. Would just speak to the bigger issue of, ju- of judges. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a book that spits a context of a leaderless people. They're leaderless. The main theme of that is everybody did what was right. Right, right, right. God was still good. God was still redemptive. But yet, this, this, this book is in a context of a leaderless people, right, who did what was right in their own eyes, right? It does kind of reflect that kind of the- theme or thesis of that book, right? Um like what we do today is I think women sort of, of course I is one but we, uh, we sort of the, the men's role and it seems to be a thing that we really really want to do and then the passivity on the other side yep. and they make it tired I don't know maybe the contentious one we just keep doing that like I give up I don't know <laughs> I think they'll be before I say anything no I think they feed into each other they do they do I mean it always stuck with me that very much our female's core temptation is to want to usurp that, you know, like, well, you know. Right. Which, I mean, and we needle. We yeah. needle. Or even, um, and then it's just then for the counterpart to then yep. sit back passively, and that yep. can just turn into a very vicious cycle where yep. we're, you know, doing what. Yeah. 
and throws everything off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about, um, and it's interesting, you know, um, we, you know, it's the important, one, of, one of the main things I want to just articulate, and I, I preached this while back, I think in the summer, and I talked about, I was, I was further back to that, I wanted, I told, asked Pastor Matt if I could preach this one passage. And it's the passage, it's the Luke 8 passage about, um, uh, it'll probably begin with Luke 9, I think it's Luke 9, where uh, Luke talks about the women who follow Jesus or are part of his, his company of people. And that passage, because you see that even amongst Jesus' followers, women serve Jesus and men serve Jesus. And there's a need for both of us. We, we are partners, Paul says in Philippians, or partners in the gospel. Paul's not just talking to the men. He's talking to the church of Philippi, which included Lydia and the other woman who was, the young woman who was saved. The church of Philippi included men and women. And so he's addressing the whole church, which included men and women. And he, he calls them partners. Right, we're all we're partners, um, and I was thinking of like um, just the blessings of the women here at Central, uh, and I think of like you know Ellen in particular, um, but even a lot of the other women who are just volunteers in the, in the women's ministry, they are so helpful. Like they are so helpful to the ministry of the church. I don't know where we would be without them. We would be, we would be, we would not be in a good place. Right? We need each other. Right? We need. Men and women who love the Lord and love the Christ's bride and love to proclaim the gospel and minister to the people in our in our community. We we need each other, right? We could do a better job, men, articulating that and making that known. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things that the church needs to work on is is clearly saying we need each other in this. How can we help one another? How can we build each other up? How can we work together to, to minister and to, to be the church that uh, glorifies the Lord? Uh, and identifying the distinct roles that we have, right? And being and realizing that God has given those roles, therefore those roles are good, right? They're not a necessary evil. They're not like, well, I wish they were different. No, these are good because God has given them to us, right? Um, these different dispositions. So let's look at masculine nature of elder leadership. Uh, we see that Jesus is the true and better Adam. He is the, the, new, the new Adam, the second Adam. We see this in Romans chapter 5. Christ is the head, right? Adam is, is seen as the head of, of humanity in the fall, and we are all given the same uh, sinful nature from Adam. But then through Christ, we receive that righteousness, Okay. Christ came as a man. He is the second Adam. He is the head of the church, right? He is the head over God's people. He is the king. We also see that Jesus, he does, um, he does uh, call 12 apostles, 12 disciples. They're all men, okay? They are men. You would think if, if you take that Galatians 3 passage, and if you think that, okay, the Christianity is giving this... Christianity is, in the New Testament is breaking down those God-designed creation roles between men and men. You would think that Christ would have then had nominated six women to be a part of his discipleship company, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. You would think if he was this great uh, leader of feminism that he would do that, right? But he doesn't do that, right? So 
we still see this consistency from Genesis 2 onward that men are called to be the heads of God's, of the family and of the church. Okay? People today use that to speak against Christianity. They say he was, they, they were against women. Or yes, yes, yes. Even though... If if you really understand history, Christianity was 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 so countercultural when it came to women, right? To not only was was women included in his company, but there are narratives that just address women. Mary and Martha, the way that Mary and Martha talked to Jesus when Lazarus died, like you see this deep friendship that they had. Um, and love that they had. I mean, Jesus appeared himself appeared after his during after his resurrection to a woman first, right? Um, this is quite significant. Um, so, looking at Ephesians, First Timothy, chapter three, one through two, um, and we see kind of the qualifications of an elder. Uh, can somebody read that First Timothy chapter three? Uh, Qualification of elder verses one through seven. Can somebody read that? The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober minded, self controlled, respectable hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Okay, um, so the husband of one wife, that's it's quite clear here that he's addressing that this role is only for men. It's only for men. Um, and it did, it also, you know, it, does, it is consistent with a passage in 1 Timothy 2, which talks about women. He does it um, First Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach. Well, then elders are to be teachers in the church. So it's consistent with that restriction that he gives to women. So men are called by God to this task, this role within the church. Uh, and it kind of reflects that Genesis 2, those two, Genesis 2 roles. Elders provide for the church through biblical teaching. Uh, Titus 1, 9 must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Of Ephesians 4.11-12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So you see this, this kind of, that elders are men who provide the church through the teaching ministry. Uh, number two, the elders protect the church from falsehood. 
2 Timothy 4.3, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to assert their own passions. 2 Timothy 4.2, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Titus 1.9, rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. So elders are called to be protectors, just like Adam was to be in the garden. He was to keep and guard the land, right? So elders are protectors. We protect the church from false teachers, right? And, and one of the things that, one of the contexts of 1 Timothy is he's in the church of Ephesus that is, and that Paul is warning them of false teaching that is around them. So he is outlining the qualifications for elders and one of their primary roles is to be protectors of the church, to guard the church from false teaching. Number three, the elders are, are to lead the church by their example. First, First Peter 5, 3. Pastors should not be domineering over those in your charge, but examples to the flock. Hebrews 3, 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who speak, spoke to you the word of God, Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith, their leaders. They lead the church. They present an example for the church to follow. Number four, elders bear responsibility before God for the well-being of the church. They bear responsibility. If James chapter 3, verse 1, teachers will receive a stricter judgment. Hebrews 13, 17, we should submit to the elders of the church because they keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So there's a responsibility. Hence what happened in the garden. Who was held responsible for what happened? Adam. Why? Because he was the leader. He bared the responsibility. And so same with elders. Elders who are false teachers, elders who are abuse the church, are held responsible and it's a noble task, right? And you're held responsible for your leadership over the church. So we see the reflection of the Genesis 2.15, what you see in the garden with the roles of the elders in the church. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because this gets into women, I do not submit or permit them to teach. Now, again, the context of this, we're talking about the whole church. We're not talking about women as if women can't teach because that would be, Paul would be contradicting Titus chapter 1 when he says that old women should teach and train young women. So it would make no sense for Paul to say that over here and then say, I don't submit any women to teach. Like, he would be contradicting himself, right, uh, by saying that. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, 8 through 15. Are there any questions up to this point? Anything you want to ask about any of this? Hopefully this is making sense that really what we see, the roles of the church is actually reflecting back to Genesis 2. Okay? So men and women are called to serve the body in all capacities except for leading and teaching the church, which God's word assigns to men. Okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 2, 8 through 15. Can I get somebody to read it? Any readers? Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. 
Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or <coughs> but with good works, as is proper for women who affirm that they worship God. A woman should learn in silence with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to be silent. For Adam was created first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith, love, and holiness with good judgment. Okay. So I've said this already, but Timothy is the pastoring over the church at Ephesus. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy in his, in his ministry, and they are being attacked by false teachers. Um, and so with this vulnerability, there's, there's especially an issue with um, you know, women in this, in this congregation, in this, in this church, um, and there's a concern um, in, about this church in Ephesus when it comes to the influences around them and the teaching that's going on around them. So Paul's addressing this church and addressing what they, how women, what they wear, um, and making sure that, um, and then getting into the part of, of women and how they are to submit to male headship in the church. Uh, and so hence the to learn quietly with submissiveness. Um, so it's, it's, it's really, Paul is getting to this trustful posture uh, to biblical teaching. Again, it is the role of the elder and the pastor to be the teacher over the church. And the women are to submit uh, to that leadership. Um, and so since another a helpful example is what we see Mary doing when Jesus is teaching. There's, she's sitting at his feet and quietly listening to the teaching. There's an eagerness, there's a peace, there's a humbleness to Mary as she sits at the feet of Christ, submitting and hearing the word of God. And so there's a, a posture of learning uh, the word of God from the officers of the church. So it's not saying that uh, women cannot talk in a Bible study. It's not saying that they cannot contribute. It's not saying that they can't pray. It's not saying that they can't prophesy, as we've already talked about. It doesn't say that they can't serve in the church. It's saying that they are to submit to the teaching of the word of God and doing it with a posture of listening and obeying, which most of us do when the word of God is taught. We don't get up and disruptively go, ah, it's all hogwash, right? Or, you know what? I'm done with all this. And you get up and leave. Or you do one of those kind of grievance things, you're like, oh, you know, you roll your eyes. That would be what? It would disrespectful. So he's saying, don't be disrespectful. Listen quietly to the word of God. It's not saying that women have to be quiet all the time in the church. It's a posture issue. It's a posture issue. Do you respect the teaching of the word? And actually, we all should do that, shouldn't we? We should all respectfully listen to the word of God. It's also mercy. It's, it's mercy because the woman was deceived. So, you know, it's like it's a protection for her. It's not discrimination against women at all. So I was going to say that I think that's a 
I think that's a helpful point. Because something that's important to consider is that it's not as if, oh, men, y'all are the teachers, women, y'all just sit in quiet. Right. It's, I know the vast majority of the men can't teach. It's only those qualified elders who have been selected to lead the congregation. Right. And so it's like women and everyone else receive the word of God. Sit and learn quietly. Because the issues are, Paul addresses here in verse 9, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. Verse 11, now let women learn quietly with all submissiveness. The issue is respect, modesty, humility. It's all about posture. It's all about posture. So as to the mercy thing, in James 3, we see that teachers will be judged much more harshly. So James 3, 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, since you know that we will be judged more, more severely. So it is a similar to a mercy in that way because there's a level playing field, so to speak, but with teachers, it's you're held on a pedestal, not just here, but... You will be on a pedestal when you're judged. Yeah. Yeah. For every single word. Yeah, absolutely. About, what, 15 years ago, maybe 13, I was asked to teach the college students. Okay. Men and women. Uh huh. College students. Yeah. And I prayed and prayed and prayed about that, knowing this. Yes. And what they asked me to teach was not the Bible, but how to study the Bible. Okay. So I taught them how to do precept study. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. And uh, John Andrew was in that class. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, um, you know, I, I really struggled over yeah. how, to, how to call that. Because right. I was not teaching the Word. Right. I wasn't going down and showing them... Right. Scripture. What we did was how to study scripture. So I felt after we got to that point where I could say yes. Yeah, and, and it's, you know there is you know there is some you know there's some gray area in this, right? You know what age do you know boys become men and well, these type of things? I figured these were men. Yeah, but I'm just saying. But even even when it comes to is it one thing <laughs> is it one thing to teach methods? Another thing to teach authoritative instruction, no, I was right? Not, I was not right. Words. That's where it, you know. There's, there's precedent there, with uh, Priscilla, right? In yeah. Apollos, right. Uh, right. Well, even what assembled congregation would mean. What does that mean? When I have the gathering of believers in my house, their life can't Right. Like, well, yeah. I mean, but that, see, that's the point. You just talked. So are we saying that that was improper for you to talk? You need to be quiet? No. That's not what, I don't believe that's what Paul's saying. But when the church is gathered, and we know when the church is gathered, and the pastor stands up and preaches the word of God, we know there's a difference between that and what you just did. So you, what you do is if you say, well, that, what's the difference? Okay, clearly you have conversation, instruction, encouragement, uplifting, presenting points, and then the authoritative preaching of the word of God. Right, those are those are two different things, and that I think clearly what Paul is saying is I do not permit a woman to teach with authority, 
the preaching of the word over the church. The church. But again, there are some areas of gray there. Like, where, what do you, when is the church, quote, quote, gathered? And when is it, quote, unquote, not gathered, right? And that's where wisdom comes in. That's where discernment comes in. That's where I would say even we call this the uh, collective hermeneutics, where the church gathers and makes interpretations of scriptures together. When we go, you know what, as a church, we believe this is okay, but this I think is not okay. I think that's proper for the church. Again, as we talked about as an institution, Christ has, God has delegated authority to the church. If we say that it's okay for a woman to teach middle school youth, I think that's proper. But if the church says, no, I don't think it's, I don't think in our congregation, I don't think that's right for us to do that. The church is making a decision together, and I think that's proper. Okay? I don't think it's proper when the church says women can be the pastors of the church because they're going against what Paul's saying, clearly. Okay. Um, okay. So we talk about the regular weekly gathering of the saints, especially Sunday morning worship. That, as I, I think it's a clearly what Paul is addressing here, is that women, he does not permit women to be the authoritative instructors over the church. Uh, okay. Uh, and I don't, I don't agree with what some churches have been doing, which is the elders are all men, but then they as a collective group decide that a woman could preach over the whole church. I don't agree with that. Because um, I think the problem with that is, is that what you're saying is, is that Paul is just referring to eldership role here and not addressing teaching over the church, which I think he's saying, I do not permit women to be in the role of a authoritative teacher over the gathered church. Um, So, right now, what's going on right here? We have a gathering of men and women of the church, right? I don't, I don't, I believe it against First Timothy two for a woman to be in the role that I'm being right now. Because this is this is a gathering of the church. It's not the whole church, but it's a mixed gathering of men and women. Okay, and so we don't have any women that teach equipped classes of men and women. Now, Ellen teaches an equipped class with just women, right? But not the mixed company of men and women. But if you were in a, say you were in a small group in somebody's home, and you were having a conversation about a passage of Scripture, it is more than proper for a woman to make, uh, could co con contribute to the conversation, to make a point from Scripture. I don't believe there are any, any type of authoritative role teaching over men in that particular situation context, though. But if you take them and say, we're going to put you in a role where you're the main teacher over a mixed group of men and women, I think that's where you're kind of, you're flirting with 1 Timothy 2. Because you're placing a woman in an authoritative role as a teacher over men. Okay? But again, there is gray area in this area. I, I think that there, I think there's, you know, this is where it's kind of getting comes with wisdom and discernment on how you go about drawing those lines, Right? Um, I think where you're clearly breaking 1 Timothy 2 is when a woman is in the role of the preacher and teaching over the congregation. I think that's a clear 
um, um, I think it, it's a clear uh, rejection of First Timothy two. You're more than welcome to ask more questions and push back on this. I said this is a testy issue, especially in the church right now. Where is the scripture that talks about um, that women should be quiet and if they have questions, they should ask their husband later? Uh, yeah, we're about to get to that passage. Um, so we see this restriction. Uh, we see one of the reasons is for these restrictions. Uh, and the other restriction is governing or eldership or leading in the church, that that is given to men. And we see again back to Genesis 2 where men are or Adam is in the role of provider, protector, and leader in the garden. But one of the reasons is, going back to Genesis 2, is Adam was formed first and Eve. So again, Adam is the head over that first family. Same in the church. Men are the head over the church. Number two gets into the, the temptation of, of Satan. Now, Let's be careful. It doesn't mean that women are, are gullible and men aren't. That's clearly not true. Men are equally tempted, aren't we? Uh, easily deceived, right? So that's not saying that women are easily deceived and men aren't. Right? We, just, we just talk about our lives, and that just doesn't, that doesn't compute. But what it is saying is that the serpent targeted the woman. He, his strategy was to deceive her. And not him, absurding the headship of Adam and the, the, the setup that God had made that Adam was appointed by God to be the leader over the home. And so, again, clearly that when we actually, basically, when we place women in the role of head over the man, we're basically embracing the serpent and his strategy, which was to flip it, to flip the roles. That was his agenda, to flip the roles. So as the church, if we actually embrace that, we're going along with Satan's agenda. And you can actually see this going out in the church. When women are now in pastoral roles in the church, what has been the consequence of all of those decisions? Most of the time, these churches tend to flow into liberalism. They reject Scripture. They reject the authority of Scripture. They reject the divinity of Christ. And you see rejection and compromising of doctrine and faith. Do you think that Satan saw Eve as kind of an easy target because of her nature, that she was more nurturing and he wasn't going to argue as much? Or met her? No. Uh, I, I don't know. I'd be purely speculating. But what I think it's interesting is that she, he targeted her, and as we've talked about, like Adam was not the protector and the leader and guarding, right, as he should have been. He should have taught her well and trained her well and provided for her well, but then failed to guard her and protect her from, from the serpent. So he goes after her, Basically saying, ah, you're the head, you're the spokesman, you're the leader, so I'm going to talk to you, and you're going to make a decision for him. Which is what happened, right? Hey. Yes. Yes, sir. Let me present a, a real-life situation. We live in Arlington. We have about 10 or 12 churches there. I'm in charge of the Memorial Day service and the Veterans Day service, so I need four pastors. Uh-huh. 
each time. I've been doing this 18 years. So we have women, we have two or three women pastors. Uh -huh. So I rotate these prayers around these ministers, but I do not ignore right or wrong. I'll select a woman pastor of the Adventist church there and the Methodist church just like I would the man. Okay. So I don't know whether that's right or wrong, what I believe or not, but I feel like I would be discriminating against those two women if I just skipped them and uh -huh. said, well, you can't lead the prayer at this service. Am I right or wrong? Well, it's a good question. Um, again, I think scripturally they are, um, they shouldn't be pastors. Scripturally, Should okay, be. they shouldn't be, because the elder elder pastoral is for only men. So they are going against the word of God, and should. I'm not sure if this is your place, but that is actually the truth. I'm a caught between a rock and a hard place. Yes, yeah. that is the truth. I would say I don't think technically you're discriminating per se. So if you feel the sense of discriminating. But you could say, well, I mean, I know that their congregations have selected them as pastors, but I do not identify women as pastors. So with that understanding, if I'm only inviting pastors to pray, therefore, I won't include them. Yeah. Yeah. But I understand your predicament. I understand your predicament. She'll stand behind me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just thought that presented a problem here that was real life. That's right. I, I appreciate and that. I've been living here for 18 years. I appreciate that. Um, yes. Just remember, we're under the dispensation of grace. The grace covers a multitude of things. It does. It does. So it does. You had to make a decision. Correct. That... Um, Politically, I got you in trouble, I guess. <laughs> I'm good at that. <laughs> the, the passage you referred to is the 1 Corinthians 14 passage. Yes. Uh, As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are permit, not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Now, let me go to that passage real quick because uh, the context helps. Context always helps. As they say, context, context, context. Um, if, you read, if you look at verse 29 of that passage, let two, and this is 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of prophecy are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the church. Now, we already know that women can prophesy and pray. We've already talked about that passage. So in this issue, we're getting to the point at verse 29 of let the others weigh what is said. And this gets into elderships and male elders basically determining what is proper interpretation and understanding of Scripture. So, like this context right here. If y'all, any of the women in this room made a point of interpretation of a passage, and John Andrew and I, who are pastors, says, oh, wait, 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 wait. Consider this, sister. That is us as, as the male leaders of the church weighing what is being said, okay? Not to say you can't say anything, but it's our role to weigh 
what is being said according to sound doctrine and according to the doctrine of the church. Does that make sense? Yeah, which is protection. What is protection? It all goes back to providing, protecting the roles God has designed men to do and women to do for his glory and praise. And he, those roles are good because God has given them to us. And when we live those out properly, and it's not saying you can never speak. It's in the context of Wesley weighing and making sure there's no confusion. Our God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So for the sake of order in the, in the church, and understanding what is proper and improper doctrine is the role of the pastors and elders to protect the church from heresy and false teaching. Does that make sense? Are we good? And then verse 36, was it from you that the word of God at first went forth, or has it come to you only? I'm not real sure how that fits in there, but verse 36. Yeah. I'm not sure what to do with that, but I don't. Yeah, I'll have to look at that more. Um, okay, okay, we're, I'm out of time. So, uh, any questions? Anything you would like to ask? I will say this. Um, I think it is so encouraging and helpful um, when we recognize our interdependency. I think that is the ideal God desire for us as church, that we are interdependent. We're interdependent. We need each other. The way that Adam needed Eve is the same that men need the women in the church. And if we, are not, if we didn't have the women in the church, we would be hopeless, right? And it's actually not by God's design. So the, the important point here is to be, to recognize that the roles that God has given men and women are good. Because God is good, and his word is good, and his creation is good, therefore our roles are good. And if you struggle with that, you're struggling with God and his wisdom. Is he really good? Right. Right. I want to know what you come up with on that. I'll, I'll be out of town this week. Any, any questions? Anything? Any, any fights? Any arguments? You shouldn't say that with a hot timeline. But my wife has already took the two kids, so I've got a little time. So I will pray for us. We need each other. We need each other, okay? Let that be the theme as you walk away. We need each other badly. <laughs> we need the wisdom. Do you know this? I'll say this at the end. You know that Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, was a far better scholar of the word. Did you know that? Yes. There is no Billy Graham without Ruth. She was, and he was one of his biggest regrets was he didn't say the scripture more. Because he constantly was preaching and teaching. He didn't study the word as deeply as Ruth did. Same with Jim Elliot. Elizabeth was the scholar. So let's, let's get rid of this view that women aren't scholars and great students of the word. That's not what Paul is saying, that women can't be scholars of the word. It gets into the point of roles and the headship of the church and the leadership of the church. And men, it is our role to listen and to be open even to the instruction and the encouragement of our fellow women.
right? So let me pray for us and I'll let you go. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, so much that uh, you provided in context so that we could understand it, Lord. We are not meant to pick apart the, the Bible, ver- these little verses here, little verses there, and create mountains off of them, Lord, but to read them in context, to understand properly what you're instructing us to do. Lord, we pray that you would give us a posture of humility, of respect and love and kindness, Lord. We pray that you would give us a, a, uh, an acceptance and an embracing and a love of your roles that you have given us. Lord, we pray that we would live them out in dependence on you and that we would help one another to live out our roles well, that we would encourage one another, we would build each other up. Lord, we would uh, pray for one another. Uh, Lord, we pray, Lord, for our men, especially those you have placed in, in headship and roles in this church, and leadership in this church. We pray that they would lead and teach the word of God, that they would teach sound doctrine. They would protect the church from false teaching and heresy. Lord, that they would govern and lead the church. They would bear the responsibility of that leadership. And we pray for our women that they would serve, that they would help, that they would love, that they would encourage, that they would embrace, that they would show hospitality and love, nourishment and helping people flourish. Lord, that you would teach them the word and they would grow in the word and become teachers of other women, that we would see a great ministry here of older women teaching younger women and training them in the word of of the Lord. And we pray that our children would also be taught and instructed and trained and equipped, Lord, that they would know your word and love you in so many ways. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Help us to do this well at Central. Help us to love each other and be interdependent. We need each other, Lord, and we need you especially. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Lesson 11, Biblical Manhood and Women in the Church in the Church of Politics class. If you're interested in more information about Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com and learn more about our ministries and our classes. And we hope to see you back.